Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is all ball, all basketball, all the time. And we are here. It is that time of year, March Madness. Um, I'm glad you love the Wojo pods. If you da- didn't uh, get a chance to listen to them, download them. Or we download this one, all ball with me, Doug Gottlieb. Of course, uh, remember the Doug Gottlieb show is daily, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 through Pacific, Fox Sports Radio, iHeartRadio app. You can download that podcast form as well. But the Wojo Pods, that's Steve Wojciechowski. We, uh, we cut it into three parts. Really, really, really well received. Very, very interesting. And I thought, uh, man, we got to some places I didn't didn't think we would get to. Uh, but it was it was great. So download those ones and listen. Uh, I have a bunch of other pods uh, getting ready for you. We'll continue to bring you so many of the big name players, coaches, people around college basketball in this NCAA tournament. So you can learn more about it, learn more about these matchups, make smarter bets. Um, I do want to tell you, I've, I've now seen Chet in person, Paolo in person. Uh, I've seen Jabari in person. I've seen Jaden Ivey in person. I've seen Keegan Murray in person. So, in other words, all those top guys that that you uh, believe, as I do, that they'll be drafted high in the NBA draft, I've gotten a chance to see in person. And that's not humble brag. Okay, maybe it's a little bit humble brag, but a lot of it's humble brag simply because um, seeing them in person is very, very different than seeing them on tape. Um, I haven't seen Jalen Durham in person. Shaden Sharp didn't play when I was there. I saw AJ Griffin. I've seen uh, Johnny Davis in person as well. Uh, I've seen Ty Ty. I've seen Ochai in person several times. EJ Liddell in person. Um, Walker Kessler in person. So, you know, of the Malachi Abranum, of the top 20 guys, I would say I've seen 15 of them at least in person. I haven't seen Dyson Daniels play because I haven't watched the... I've seen him play on TV, but not in person. Anyway, um, and I'm not sure that Keegan Murray should be in the conversation of that number one overall pick. Now, what I was blown away by from Jabari is not any one thing he does, although he shoots it really well from three and kind of like Keegan, like they're so big, they can just shoot over people. And what is and what isn't a good shot now, obviously has changed and, you know, contested shots are seen as, as, as more viable shots. If your feet are set, you're on time and rhythm, especially if you're big. So I look at it and I'm like, you know, uh, they both have great size. I think Keegan is a little bit more developed physically, but also he's been in college a year longer. I believe he's a year older. They both shoot it really well. They both shoot it kind of over people with without any sort of fear. Again, I would say Keegan's a little bit more advanced in his shot taking, shot making. Um, I don't think Jabari gets by people as well as Keegan does. And Keegan, kind of like Jabari, they just, with their length of their arms and hand size, they just, they, they cause a lot of disruption defensively, more so than anything great they do on the ball. They're, they're not bad defenders in any way, but I, I think their length helps them and they use it very, very smartly. Like, I, I just, there's a Keegan Murray instead of Jabari discussion. Now, I've seen Chet and Chet's different. He, he is really thin. Um, he does really affect the game with his functional length and shot blocking. 
Uh, he's not nearly as developed as a shooter, even though it looks like eventually it's going to go in and go in a bunch, probably starting next year, like if he's in college in a couple years in the pros. I'm just much more worried about him defending out in the perimeter as opposed to the other two. Now, he's better at the rim, but he's so thin, and I don't know what he'll look like when you when you add that size. I just I walked away from the Big Ten tournament thinking, I don't love Jaden Ivey's interaction with teammates. I love so much about his game, right? That it's like a, he just he has a step athletically that, uh, no one I've seen, none of the other guards seem to have. Uh, and now he's gotten to where he can make kind of his set shot. He's not really a shooter off the dribble yet. Um, and as a finisher, look, he's got a gear. Again, few have. He does not have as advanced a finishing and passing game off of penetration as you probably need to have in order to be a star in the NBA. But I think that's coming. I mean, you look at his improvement offensively from last year to this year is remarkable. There's no reason to believe that it won't continue to improve over time. But I, the part that I don't know is I don't know if that interaction issue it sounds like his, his teammates hate him. Like, you know, you can watch and teammates just don't like that. They like him. He's just not in rhythm with them. And there's just a different, I don't know how to express it. You got to see it in person and understand that he does not fit the bill as this kind of Purdue all in about our team guy. doesn't mean that he's selfish, but they're definitely not completely aligned as some teams are. Does that, does that make sense? I think it makes sense. Anyway, I again, he's now he's the guard, and everybody else is big, and big, and and you know can handle on some level and play that versatile basketball. But he's the one kind of dominant lead guard. On the other hand, he's not really a dominant lead guard in college. He there's a lot of Westbrook to him, and now he's a better shooter at this stage than Westbrook was. Although you know college basketball is so different than Westbrook didn't have to shoot. Uh, but there's a similarity there in the gear that he has that nobody else seems to have. And yet not really a point guard and not really a leader of that team. But no means is he a bad player. Or would he be a stay away? It's just if you're going to put him in an environment to succeed, it's got to be one in which he's likely to see success and placing him, you know, as, for example, the lead ball handler, that's not going to help him. And making him a leader of your team when he's not naturally a leader, I'm not sure that's going to help him. If I were drafting, I thought it was Jabari and Paolo and Chet all year long. I think now I'm in the Paolo, I'm in the, excuse me, Keegan and Jabari for the one, whoever you don't like for the two, Paolo for the three. And I, and I would, it would be a hard call based upon what I would need Chet over Jaden Ivey, even though I, I like, you know, Chet blending in with a team better than Jaden Ivey. Jaden Ivey's athleticism may limit him some when he gets to, you know, deep NBA playoffs. You really got to be able to shoot the ball. You can't get to the rim nearly. But in regular season play, I mean, that guy's going to be living at the rim and it's a pretty good living. So I think I'd take Chet ahead of him, but not by a ton. All right, let's get to it. Uh, Richard Bertino has become a friend over the years. Of course, he coached 
uh, most recently at the University of Minnesota before getting the job this past offseason at New Mexico. I got a chance to catch up with him. He gave me his thoughts on what went wrong at Minnesota and what's allowed him to kind of stay balanced in uh, in this part of his career, considering, you know, the name that he carries with him. I think, I think the question everybody wants to know, honestly, is what it was like to be you as a kid, right? Like, because... Uh, obviously, you know, your, your dad's life and career has been wildly discussed, but I mean, there's so many turns and whatever, but for you, like his son bearing his name, what was it like to be you as a kid? I would say, um, for a 39 year old, I have seen so many highs and lows in this profession. Um, and growing up kind of what was interesting to me was like, and, and obviously Calipari's family could tell you Kentucky is not a normal way to live um, as your dad being the head coach of Kentucky. This is not a knock on the place, but it's just not real life. I mean, it's the fanfare, the hoopla, all of it was so extreme. Um, and he was there for what, eight years and, Six was postseason eligible, went to multiple final fours, elite eights. I mean, just insane success, success. And your dad is this rock star. And I've never been one of these people who embraces any of that. Like, I am not about that life. Um, I don't love attention. I don't, you know, I just want to do my job to the best of my ability. I want to be a great father. I want to be a great husband. I want to be a great friend. But like, I am not in this profession for fame. That's not what I like. So leaving there and going to Boston, two extremes. Like Boston, they don't care. Like, you know, they're, they're either you win or you lose. And I loved Boston. Um, I consider myself to be kind of from that. So then you're going like on top of the world, highest paid coaching contract whatever in Boston in NBA history. And I thought the NBA was really cool. Like following every night. Like I love basketball. So you all oh, Kobe had this, or, you know, Michael had this, like that was so much fun to be a part of, but he didn't win um, at the level of, and you know, in the NBA, like not to say it's not about coaching, but if you don't have the players, you have, you have no chance. It doesn't matter who the coach is. You look at, Coach Popovich right now, like they understand what the roster is. He get like 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 the Popovich is a perfect example. He didn't suddenly become an idiot, right? No. He didn't suddenly become a middle of the pack coach. He's a spectacular coach, but you can only do so much. And so I believe March first is the anniversary of the Bill Russell's now walk. Larry Bird's not walking yeah. through that door, right? Like and and what he's saying is right. It's just people don't know how to how to take it. They just they don't want to admit it that they they think here's what they think they think well if it's all players what do we need you for right but the yeah. truth is like there's there's a there's it's a, as we all know there's a combination no one's ever done without players but no players ever done it without proper coaching right so it does kind of work together but again you're you're a, you're a kid right and so like you said your dad is a rock star your dad really was one of the first to bring kind of style and panache as a dresser on the sidelines, you know, from his time with the Knicks and he gets to Kentucky and there's a different level of 
it's just a different level of, level of like elegance to to how his presentation, right? Like, I don't know if your dad around the house was like unshaven and was in his sweats, and but you never you'd never see him that way publicly. You know, he was always very very put together. Anyway, I'm just wondering, like, from your when you close your eyes and you think back to those days, what was it like? You know, because there, because you're at school and like, as you said, like kids are vicious because they repeat what their parents say. Like, was, was it, I want to stay the hell away from this profession. Was it, I love it and I want to be around it. I, uh, I what, think, what um, yeah, I think like that's where I think the Boston thing came in because Kentucky was like utopia because they didn't lose, you know, they yeah. were winning so much. I mean, he legitimately, Nazi Muhammad missed free throws. They should have been back-to-back champs, um, you know, like, and then the next year when he leaves, Tubby Smith wins. Went so, like, I mean, as close to a dynasty as you're going to get. Um, but it, to me, it was never like real world. I was never really consumed with any of that. When I got to Boston, it just felt more normal because you had the Red Sox, you had the Celtics, you had the Bruins, you had, I mean, you had a million things going on. And it, like, I really liked it because I'm not like when you would, when you were living in Kentucky, you'd go out to eat. My mom's not much of a cook. So we'd go out to eat a lot and you'd have a line waiting for you at the table. Now this was before cell phones where everybody's taking pictures. This is, we want an autograph. And I, honestly, it just, I, I didn't like it at all. Um, so when you go to Boston, nobody cares about that stuff. They just don't. doesn't mean that they don't care about, I mean, they care about their sports. They love their sports. But if you don't win, like, they can be all over you. So going through the, like you said yesterday, was Larry Bird's not walking through that door and just seeing where your dad is this guy who never, ever lost – and now you're in your formative years and you're dealing with all this insanity of the Celtics and so on. So I don't know. I think it shaped me for who I am because I just don't buy into any of it. Like I am a, I've had really good years as a coach and I've had bad years as a coach. And I just try to stay as level-headed with all of it as possible. I try to, when somebody comes up to me and says something nice, I appreciate it. If somebody says something mean, I'm like, ah, whatever, you know, I'm just kind of, that's the way it rolls. But, every, but everybody's not wired that way. You no. know, there's a lot of guys who, and they might not admit it on a recorded podcast or radio, but there's a lot of guys that are very bitter, right? Very bitter. Because, and the point they make is a good one. It's like, you know, we have plenty of good years. We have one bad year. You want to fire me, right? Like, you know, there's just, and there's a level of, or, or media guys who, they, when you're winning, they're your friend. And when you're losing, you know, they, they know there are other issues at play, right? They know there's things you can't say about a kid, about an injury. You got screwed by a ref. There's administratively, there's some, but, but they don't, there's a, just my, from doing this as the son of a, of a far less accomplished coach. And then as, uh, as a broadcaster, you're the rarity. That's kind of why I'm fascinated by you, you have a piece about you or so many other guys, either they're trying to break out of the shadow of their father. They're bitter at how people have media has fans have treated them, or it's just all of the, 
for lack of a better word, bullshit, you know, it just, it, it makes them angry. You don't have that. And I, and I'm wondering where that comes from. I'm wondering how you found that, that piece. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. And I think I try very hard to, to be that way. Um, I think that when I was, cause people do say that to me a lot, like, I can't believe you are the way you are. And not that my dad is bad, but he's so different than what I am. I mean, my dad's great. He's a great dad, but he's, I'm just way more. I just try to be more normal with all of it. Um, I don't know. I think. And, and, I, and, and this is, and, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but this is the fairest way I can say it's not his fault. Right. No. Like, he, like, like here's the, here's the, here's the, the, every interaction I've ever had with your dad is from as a broadcaster is, you know, you get to, you get to watch and be around practice and it's like art, right? Cause he just has the whole thing. When it was at Louisville, it was just like art with the microphone and everything. You're like, this is what it's all supposed to look like. You know, it's amazing. And then, you know, he comes over, he says, hi, it's very nice. And then you get that little time before the game, you know, he calls you in and he knows the questions you're going to ask. He gives you what they're looking to do, how everybody's playing. It's very nice to shake hands. Now I'm going to go talk to the team. And like, that's it, right? Because he just, everybody's asking for attention. And and for years, he's had to deal with this where he has to be a little bit. And, you know, like, I'm not close to them. So I'm sure it's different with the Vitals and the other guys. But the point is, he, he kind of has to be that way. But it is interesting. Like, your sentence you said was, before the first time I met you, uh, as an assistant, and then I thought same thing as a head coach, and everybody talks like he the way he is is just it's just different. So it's it's shocking how normal you are. What is it that gives you that balance? Yeah, I, I think I, I'm not a yoga guy, uh, but I do. It is important to me to be that way. Like it just is. Like I do think my mentality is that like. I, there was a sense of pride that I had in myself to make sure everybody knew that even though I got fired at Minnesota, like it's not going to define me. Uh, I'm not going to be bitter. I'm going to be break, grateful for the eight years. Um, so it's just important to me. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I'm just not one of those, those guys that really, really feeds in all that. I think working, I think that, the decision I made to go from, so I was an assistant coach. I was at College Charleston, Duquesne, Northeastern, and then I went to Louisville for two years. And I had a decision to make to go to Florida. And I think that decision was the best thing I ever made because I got out of my comfort zone and I went to work for Billy Donovan, who everybody thinks my dad and Billy are similar. They're really not similar at all. There's a similar drive and they're both again, like this makes it sound like my dad's bad, like bad, like my dad has impacted a lot of people's lives and is an amazing father and one of my best friends. But then I go to Billy and he's just so different. And the way that he lives his life is different. Like my dad's one of those guys where when it's the off season, Hey, let's, let's fly to Miami and let's play golf and let's go to dinner. And let's, it's just like, all right. And then Billy's the other way, like to go to the beach with the family and, and, and live that low key life. And I just thought for me, I just like that better. Um, 
we all want to win at a high level and we all want to be as great of a coach as we can be. But I just thought Billy was at peace with he's not coaching because he wants money. He's not coaching because he wants fame. He's coaching because he wants to be the best coach he can be for himself. And that was really good for me. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Um, okay, College of Charleston, who is the head coach? Tommy Herrian. So I was only there. So I ended up, I was a high school coach um, when I was at Providence College. I wasn't good enough to play at Providence. So Mike Hart, who's at St. Andrews, I don't know if you ever met him. He's an absolute character. I had a blast. I was a volunteer assistant for two years and I mean, it was a lot of fun. We were good. We had Demetrius Nichols, played at Syracuse. I mean, we had some good teams. And Bob Walsh, who's now still at Providence College, um, after I went to be kind of like the video guy for my junior, senior year of college, Bob Walsh says to me afterwards, like, all right, you need to, you need a real job. Uh, I know Tommy Harrion, and uh, he needs an ops guy. So I went down to College Charleston for a couple months, loved it because it's a beautiful place. And Coach Herrian was great and worked his butt off. Right before the season, Ron Everhart calls me or called my dad, I think, because he needed a young assistant. And my it was like October. So I had took the Northeastern job, went there as a full-time assistant, got really, really lucky. Uh, Coach Everhart gave me a shot and was there with Jose Juan Barea. J.J. Barea was there. Sure. Really good player. Sean James was one of the best shot bloggers. He's overseas. And we had a good year. And then Coach Everhart takes Duquesne. And I was there as a young assistant when we had five you're, guys you're, to shot. You're, 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 I want to get to that in a second. Okay. But College of Charleston is a fascinating job. It's the job that every guy in the Northeast says, you know what job I really want? What job? I want to call it Charleston, right? Now, I know that they got, Crest's got a nice arena. It's a great city. I've, I've been there twice in my life, but what is it that every, that, that all these old coaches just love the idea of college Charleston? Well, it's a, uh, for one, it's a beautiful town um, and the college. So my sister went there because of my few months. I'm like, you have to go to the college of Charleston. Um, beautiful. Uh, it's, it's got beaches, but it's not like it's Miami or California where you have an insane amount of traffic. And it's, you know, like it's a small Southern town with great food, great quality of life. Um, and they actually like basketball. Like it's a, I think every coach is nostalgic about the lowest level because they don't need to deal with the nonsense of the NBA and all that. Sure. But then when they get in it, they always want more money. They want more resources and so on. Um, yeah. But it is a it's a great spot. I mean, I, I thought it was uh, their arena building that new arena really helped them. Um, but it is still a lower level. It's not yeah. necessarily a mid-major. Um, but I think a lot of these older coaches, because of the golf and because of the beach and the quality of life, they love it. I'm not wrong, though, right? Like they all say oh. like, though. No, it's great. Oh, that's a great job. Great job. Yeah, it's probably the equivalent to everybody says out West, Pepperdine. The problem with Pepperdine, yes. you're in the league in, with Gonzaga. And, and you have no facilities, right? And everybody thinks that because outside of the arena, there's a beach there that, you know, then, then it's like, okay, where do I live? Right. <laughs> How do you afford to live there? You know, all those, all those other issues with it. And oh yeah, by the way, 
you know, San Diego has a beach right outside their door and Lola Merriman has a beach right outside that door. So it doesn't, and people have kids have forgotten how good pepper I was. That's a, that's a great analogy. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Ron Everhart, what was he like to work for? He was awesome. Um, so when I got to Northeastern, you know, he's a tough dude. Uh, like I remember the way he challenged JJ Barea. Like I'm, I'm looking there like, wow, you know, like he's just an old school basketball coach coach. We would sit around, um, talking ball the whole time, but he was uh, great. And then we went, uh, so he gets the Duquesne job and I like, I'm like, let's go coach. You know, cause when you're an assistant at that age, you're making, I don't know, you're making like $50,000 and he tells you, Hey, we can go to Duquesne and get 80,000. You're like, let's go. You know, I mean, you, you, you know, you're, you're all about it and it's the Atlantic 10 versus the CAA. So we went to, uh, we went to Duquesne and that was a huge rebuild. I mean, really, really kind of similar to what I'm dealing with here in New Mexico, but always treated me great. Uh, just a just a good person and um, took over some challenging, challenging jobs. OK, so where were you when the shooting happened? So this was um, I was at my apartment. My, my mother actually was visiting. So it was me, my wife. Um, and my mom was in town visiting Pittsburgh and it was right around September, mid-September. And all of a sudden um, I get a bang on the door. So this is like right after college where you have your cell phone, but you got your drunk college friends who still calling you late night. And I got the real job. So I started turning my phone off because I'm like, you idiots are waking me up and this and that or whatever. I got a real job. Well, I turned my phone off and about 2 a.m., you hear a banging on the door. So my first thought is, okay, my mom is out for a walk. My mom loves to walk the neighborhood. Maybe it's like 6 a.m. I don't know what it is. I open the door and it's Anthony Cerro, our ops guy. And he says, hey, you got to get down to campus. I'm like, why? He's like, five players have been shot. I'm like, okay, so like, give me the health update of all this, right? So we kind of get that. We're in the middle of taking over this new job. We bring in all these new players and we're telling all these families, like, we got your son and almost half the team gets shot. So you're this, just this, like, this is before you guys have ever coached a game, have not coached a game. So legitimately, we would go into work. So it was like September. We would go into work and we would drop our bag off and we would go to the hospital that was right next to our, our office and we'd visit our players in the hospital who'd been shot. Now, Sam Ashley was the only one that really was in it, the hospital for a longer period of time, where it was like every day you just pop over there. But um, most of them, four of the five didn't have serious, serious. And one of them missed, uh, Stuart Baldonado must have missed most of the season. I don't remember, but uh, it, it was just, I, I mean, there's hard situations, but that was, as heartbreaking as it comes. It was a on-campus event where some neighborhood came in. It was like a dance or something. And our guys got into the fight or whatever. And it just, it, it was, uh, it, it was really, really challenging. And, and that job changes, that changes everything. What did you learn from your times of rebuilding? Yeah. So again, like health of the student athletes aside, Duquesne, you know, they all got out of it, which is great. But Duquesne is a challenging job that became a next to impossible job. Um, and so 
you just have to understand what the situation is and do your very, very best with it. This, what taking New Mexico reminds me a lot of Duquesne, not because of that, but because of we legitimately had to bring in eight new guys in a month. Um, so the hard part is you have to, and every, every job is different. Somebody asked me the other day, one of our administrators, you know, who would you hire in this spot, you know, or, or who's a good coach. And I said to him, like, I don't, what does that mean? Good coach. Like every situation is substantially different. Like, you know, Nico Medved, where he's at, like he's built a really good team um, and credit to him. And Boise State, Leon's been there 12 years. You know, San Diego State's had unbelievable consistency. So um, I think the biggest thing is you have to build a program from the ground up. But every situation is substantially different. And you need to make sure everybody understands that. I really believe that. Okay, so so you're at 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 uh, you go to Louisville. Okay, what was the conversation like with your dad to bring you back? Well, he needed a, he had on the uh, staff, it was uh, Steve Massiello um, and it was uh, Walter McCarty. And I think he thought Steve would be close to a head coaching job. And I don't think he was crazy about the idea of bringing me in, but he, like every coach, you know, you just, you want people you can trust who are loyal and so on. So I do think it was, I, you know, I think we could throw him a bone as well as get him going and it could be beneficial down the road. Um, we had a really, really good team, you know, I mean, really talented. I mean, Earl Clark, Smarto Samuels, Derek Carr. I mean, it was amazing talent. Um, but it was for me, it was like, all right, how do I, how do I help without being dad's son that nobody trusts? Um, and I think, my first two years, I was just trying to be a good scout and recruit and this and that. But then my second stint, I thought I really provided great value to the program. Wait, wait, wait. Was, hold, hold on. So, so just so people understand, okay? So you're there for, for two years. Two okay? years, yeah. And then you leave. Okay? That's when you go to Florida. Yeah. Right? Which is like kind of like finishing school, right? Okay? So then – what was it like? You, then you came back. Why, why come back? Why, how, so, why? so yeah. So I left to go to Florida. Greatest decision I ever made. Not even close. I still kind of to this day regret going back to Louisville. Um, and now I recruited players that won a national championship. Like Peyton sure. Steve is one of the best players to ever play there. And he's like my pride and joy because he's such an awesome human being and a great player and a great kid and just loved him. Um I was able to coach in a final four with my dad, which is awesome as the associate head coach. But I look back and say, now that I'm a head coach, whenever you lose an assistant, it's hard. And I hate it because I have so much respect for Billy that I went back because I made Billy's life more difficult. And I should never have done that. Not that I regret the experience. The experience was amazing. But I have so much appreciation and love and respect for Billy Donovan that I should have never made his life even a little bit difficult by having to replace me, not because I'm irreplaceable, but just hiring an assistant just sucks. It's annoying. Um, but the, the circumstances, my dad had lost all these assistants. He had no staff. 
So I thought, okay, I can go there and I can really, I can hire the staff because my dad's getting older and I know all these assistants better than he does. And I thought, okay, like I can take care of this. And I really took pride in that. So I hired Kevin Keats. I mean, my dad certainly hired these guys, but Keats, I thought would be great for him. You were, you were, uh, you were his chief of staff. That, that's basically what it was. You basically. Were, was and, and I thought he needed that, quite frankly. And I yeah. still think he needs that. Um, and I think the stuff that happened later was because he didn't have that. Correct. Like, we don't need to get it. That'll take an hour or two hours to talk about that. But he needs somebody who's not scared of him because he is Rick Patino, But, like, you got to respect him because he deserves that. But you need – protectors of that. And I felt like, right. You, you have, it's both. He has to respect you. You have to respect him. You got to, got to know how it works. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a, it's a hard thing. And I do think that's the, like, again, I, I don't want to, at some point we, we got to hopefully we'll record it, talk about it, but it's interesting because the thing that he got is guilty of is at least earlier in his career, he, he was on top of everything. Right. I mean, he's amazing with the level of detail. He still has that level of detail. It's just in, it's just in smaller, sharper focus, right? Because you're older, you don't have time. You have other things kind of going on. Is that is that a is that a yeah? A I fair think way what it is, I I think what it is is he's still the same. It's just um, and I'm not trying to blame all the assistants that he hired. Like I, you can go down in that Christian Dawkins, all that stuff, and say there's a lot of assistants who may not have had the experience that got trapped into that. Like it was almost a sting, you know what I mean? So I'm not trying to absolve the guys that got in trouble or say he's my dad had no responsibility, certainly. But um, I think that he's still very much on top of it. It's just about who you hire and not trusting them so much. And I think that's where he does it is he hires you and he pushes you but it's impossible to know everything. I know that as a head coach. Um, so I just, I felt like he needed that. And I still to this day feel now I own is a different level, but uh, that he needs that because there's so many things that go on in a program at that level. You need to have people that are constantly trying to protect it. And that got away. Um, okay. So you, when you recruited Russ Smith, did you know his name would, and number would be hanging in the rafters at Louisville? No. Um, Russ, I have a kid, Jalen House, who reminds me of Russ in a lot of ways because House has amazing moments, and then he has moments where you're like, you, you just like, you can't even put him on the court. Yeah. And Russ was very, very similar in a lot of ways um, to Jalen House. Uh, you still, if you go back and you watch moments of Russ Smith, there are moments where you're like, I remember at Notre Dame, there was like a three or four overtime game and Russ legitimately won the game and lost the game from yes. multiple possessions. Um, another though, like that team that when we went to the final four and then that team that won the national championship was good, but they were phenomenal kids, phenomenal. And um, Russ was just like, he had such a good way about him, but he, he was that New York city Hooper and those are not succeeding as much anymore. And he was just out there balling and uh, just found a way to get it done in an unorthodox way. But no, I did not see that happening. Uh, And, uh, but a great, awesome kid. Dad's awesome. Family's great. Okay. What, 
what was it like to decide to take the Minnesota job? Take, take me to that, take me to where you were, what the process, it wasn't the only job you're interviewing for, right? There's, there's been others. What great was that story. Process? Yeah. So it's a great story. So I take the FIU job. Um, I took it because of Miami. I thought I could sell Miami. Very, very difficult job. I mean, insanely difficult. They had Isaiah Thomas. They won like seven or eight the year before, similar to kind of my New Mexico deal, but not in the Mountain West, not as good of a conference. We end up being top three or whatever. We go to the conference tournament finals and uh, we miss a shot at the buzzer to go to the NCAA tournament with walk-ons. I mean, just a great group of dudes, but they were tough kids, great kids. So season ends and I, I'm sitting there going, FIU is not it. It's not long-term what I want. Um, it's just, it's a hard, hard job internally and it's just challenging. So Sienna essentially wants to hire me. Sienna was way more my speed. This, this, is, this is when Fran had it rolling and he Fran left to go to Iowa. Fran leaves, goes to Iowa. Um, Mitch gets the job. Mitch Bonaguerre gets yep. fired. Okay. Yep. Two so years, two years, I think maybe two maybe or three years, years after. Yeah. So we had known some people from Saratoga, family, friends, Albany days, and Sienna was way more my speed. Well, the AD and I spoke and he was great. And he said, listen, I, I feel great about you. I don't, he didn't say like, I want to hire you, but I feel great about you. But we had had at FIU APR issues from the year before we, I was worried we may not be eligible for the postseason. Like there was a lot that was going in that my players, I just felt horrible about. So I'm like, okay, if I go up there and I don't get the job, man, this is a bad look. So Billy Donovan basically told me like, and I call a coach. I'm like, coach, what would you do? He's like, if they don't offer you the job on the spot, I would not go up and interview for it. So coach convinced me, like, pull out. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. And I was bummed because Sienna was what I saw myself. That's what I wanted to coach at. And I remember my dad said to me, ah, it's too cold up there anyway. Well, then I go to the Duke game, right? So this is Louisville Duke. Kevin Ware snaps his leg, Right. I was, I recruited Kevin Ware. So I'm the head coach at FIU. Ware snaps his leg. My dad says to me, they beat Duke. It was a great game. My dad's like, let's stay over. Let's go to St. Elmo's and let's visit Kevin in the, uh, in the uh, hospital next morning. I'm like, great. So we visit Kevin. We're driving back from Indy to Louisville. I get a call from Billy Donovan. I'm like, what's up coach? And Billy's real direct. Like he's like, Hey, I think I just got you the Minnesota job. I'm like, what? Like Minnesota, not even on my radar. Um, I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, Norwood Teague is the AD. Norwood hired Shaka Smart, his assistant. Anthony Grant, his assistant, had a great experience. Norwood is struggling to find, like Minnesota's a hard job. And yeah. he's trying to struggle to find what he wants. I loved it. I enjoyed it. But so I'm like, okay. He's like, Norwood's going to call you. Just be ready. So I answer the phone or, or so I get up. So I hang up the phone with Billy. Right. And my dad's in the back. We have a friend driving. Um, he's kind of just sleeping. And I said, oh, I'm like, hey, dad, I wake him up. I'm like, Minnesota's going to call me. Would you take that job if you can get it? And he kind of opens up one eye and he's like, who the hell do you think you are? Of course, you take that job if you can get it and just goes back to bed. And that was it. So I'm like, all right. So Norwood calls me. We have a great talk. So wait, wait. So, so this is just a question. OK, so, you know, Minnesota's going to call. 
Do you like quickly get to your phone and do a little do do a little Minnesota research? Like I didn't have a lot of time. Do you do it cold? I didn't have a lot of time. Uh, I think I might have called Shaka. No, I think I called Shaka after because I knew Shaka because I replaced Shaka at Florida. But like Norwood is just a good dude. He's easy to talk to. So he understood kind of like I have no time to research any of this. So I talked to Norwood and I'm like, listen, man, like it was a real casual conversation. He basically said, can you get down to Florida to meet with me the next day? I'm in Louisville. I I got my like my F. I don't have a suit. I don't have anything. So I go fly down there and I meet with them. I think it was in Naples or whatever. And it's him. What did you wear? I had like uh, pants and like a button shirt, like a button down shirt. I didn't have a sport coat. I didn't have anything. And I told Norwood, I'm like, I don't have anything right now. I'm not at home base. I don't have notes. I don't have anything. He's like, I don't care about any of that. So we go down there and it's Mike Ellis, who him and Norwood started Villa 7 and all that, which was yeah. Villa 7 was like the thing for all of us young coaches. I wasn't even in Villa 7. So it's Mike Ellis. It's Dave Benedict, who's now the AD at UConn. Beth Getz is now an AD as well um, in Norwood. And I just kind of walk in and I'm like, all right, like, I I don't know much about any of this stuff. I know Minneapolis is an awesome city. I know the Big Ten's a great conference uh, and so on. So we had a great couple hours. Uh, It was pretty casual. You know, I mean, it was – I think Norwood felt good about me. And he basically that night was like, Hey, like I remember we went outside and he was like, how would a million dollars sound? I'm like, Oh my God. Like, you know, I, cause I'm making like 200 at the head coach at FIU. I mean, the salaries have gone up so much since then. I'm like, yeah, I, I would, that'd be fine by me, Norwood, you know? So I, I, I thought I had it, um, but I didn't know. So then I left and I think the next day or two, he offered me the job. And I really just, I was not in a position. The FIU thing was, it scared me so much because of the APR stuff from prior. It just scared me. And I thought I had to take Minnesota. Um, and I'm happy I took Minnesota. I really am. So got offered the job. It was funny. Within 10 minutes of my dad found out he got in the Hall of Fame, I got the Minnesota job right in the 10 minutes. So, you know, we have our family text chain and so on. So it was a great time. It was, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun and uh, just kind of hit the ground. I remember we were flying from Miami on a private plane and we go from beautiful weather and there's still snow on the ground in like April. And I'm like, Oh my God, but uh, loved it. Really did enjoy it. What, uh, um, so you get there. Okay. And now the, the, the hard thing about Minneapolis is, and about Minnesota, about the U, is a good thing and a bad thing is that there are players. There's like anywhere from one to five a year, but none of them want to go to the U, right? They all want to go, which is what happened to you. You hit the ground running, and there's this incredible, you know, really three, four kids, what, and, you know, where every fan thinks they should want to go to Minnesota, the barn school, it's the Big Ten. It's the school of the state, but the kids themselves, for whatever reason, all seem to want to get the hell out of there. What is what is that actually like in a reality in reality? Yeah, the, the reality of Minneapolis is and they call it the Twin Cities. They get mad if you call it Minneapolis, but it's different than a lot of cities. If you look at a map, Minnesota's up here at the top and everybody, all the players are within 20 minutes of your campus. I actually think you'd be better off if like Minnesota was in Rochester and it was two hours away 
because the allure of getting away from home, but still being there, uh, maybe a little bit better. Um, I didn't, I just sort of like, sort of like, Gain, sort of like Gainesville, right? Like nobody goes up around Gainesville. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there's most, co- even, even Athens, right. And I know they haven't done a great job of keeping Atlanta kids, but it's not in Atlanta. Right. Well, it, it's it, the only Atlanta. different, I think what it's comparable to is Seattle because there's nothing near the twin cities. And I think a lot of these kids now the West is so much more spread out, but like a lot of these kids now, this is not to absolve me of, I made mistakes and like, I'm not trying to say it's not my fault. Um, but I, I do think like, I just think the people in the community, like one of my best friends, like who's my neighbor, his daughter was a hockey player. She's like, I just want to get away. So you had a lot of these kids. The next closest school is Wisconsin. Like there's no other schools around. So a lot of these kids are like, well, I'd like to go to Wisconsin. It's three hours away. I could still get the value of going home every now and then. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think Ben is going to have to figure that out. Uh, I Him being from there and playing there helps. They like their own there. You know, they like people that are from there. Um, so I didn't get enough consistent ones. I got back-to-back pros. I mean, Amir Coffey, Daniel Aturo were from there. They're in the yeah. NBA. Um so it just became like, I thought I had success there. I really did. I was there for eight years. We went to two tournaments. We went to, we won to an NIT like Minnesota is just a, it's a weird job. I don't think it's a bad job, Yeah. but I also think every coach in the history of the program has been fired. And I think <laughs> like, like I remember we won and they're like, don't leave. And I'm like, I, I don't want to leave. I love it here. Like, but nobody's ever won and left ever. Um, so I think you need somebody, you need to change the job. And I didn't change the job. Um, what, what, what is, um, I, we, we all, when you have time to process, if, if there is one mistake that you can learn from, you're going to make mistakes, but there's context in it, right? Is it, if, there, if there's one that's ringing in your ear as you rebuild New Mexico that you don't want to replicate, what would that mistake be? Um, I don't, I don't know if there's one thing that I could say, it's hard to say that one thing there's a player, you know, McKinley Wright, who went to Colorado and I took Isaiah Washington, but everybody thinks like, like McKinley Wright didn't tell me he was coming. So we're in the mix with them. And then we take Isaiah Washington, who's player of the year in the state of New York. And he was a really good player. But everybody thinks, like I said, McKinley was there saying, I want to come. And Isaiah was there saying, I want to come. And I said, no, I don't want you, McKinley. I want Isaiah. Like, not that simple, right? Okay. So, 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 and, and again, that, that's, this is a perfect example. Perfect example. And McKinley, by the way, like perfect college player because he's a complimentary guy, right? He just, yeah. he makes, he makes everybody else, he made everybody else better at Colorado, right? And if you asked Tad, he's like, he made me look like a much better coach. Yeah. Because he just, right? Whereas Isaiah, like, you just in a basketball game, if you watch the two of them play, be like, ooh, that guy, I want that guy. Yeah. But doesn't necessarily make everybody better. Right. They're yeah. very different. But okay, so get this is great because I'll give you the the example. I go to Notre Dame, but I really I didn't necessarily think I wanted to go to Notre Dame. It was my first visit. And then I wanted to go to I loved Michigan State. Izzo I was would have been Izzo's first recruit, first point guard. But I, I wanted to play with with tractor trailer. And Albert White, and they committed to 
to Michigan, right? And UCLA thought they were getting Stefan Marbury. And like all these things kind of came together. And Jeff Billet wanted to go to Notre Dame. And I had to decide before he visited, because once he visited, it's whoever takes the scholarship. That's how they did it. So what was, tell me the the process of how it actually went down with those two. Yeah. And again, like, I don't want to knock Isaiah, like Isaiah is a good kid. It just, it didn't work out. But my point is I probably should have held off a little bit to see. I thought McKinley was, it's funny about McKinley. He never shot in AU. So you were kind of like, can he shoot? But what you loved about him was great kid. You could tell he had all these intangibles, all the things that Tad said, like, I felt like, yeah, like I see that. Um, But it just, he, he had visited, I believe he visited Dayton, you know, Archie was in there really good. And I think he might've chosen Dayton over us, honestly. Like, I, I think there was a little bit of level of that. The only thing I would have said was, I would have probably been more patient, not because Isaiah is a bad player. I just thought getting that Minnesota kid was probably more important than I realized at the time. Um, right. Because, because, you know, Tyus leaves, you know, and he goes and wins a national championship. Right. And that, that, you know, that that's hard. And so now you have a minute. He's obviously McKinley in many ways, probably had a better Oak because he stayed longer, a better career than, than Tyus. Right. And, it's the it's one thing to have a great point guard, but have a point guard who leaves your home area. And as you said, they do like Minnesota kids. Who does? Yeah, you know? I think that's in the end. Not to say, and again, like I had a I had a weird, like a really weird eight years because I get there and we had some good talent, not great, good. You know, the Hollands. You know, they weren't brothers. Everybody called them brothers, but they weren't. But Andre was a good player. Austin was a good player. Um, I had to add some guys. Mo Walker had to lose about a hundred pounds and he became a really good player and we win the NIT. So it's, it's so different than New Mexico where you're, you're totally rebuilding. Like everybody kind of sees there's some decent pieces there. So you win 25 games. Well, I kept telling Norwood, I'm like, Norwood, I am really concerned. We just don't have any young players in this program. Right. At the time, bad facilities. We had no practice facility. Um, I'm also trying to build my rep because I hadn't really accomplished. I didn't win at FIU and go to the tournament and be this hot name. Like everybody's kind of like, yeah, I think he's a good guy. I think he's a good coach, but we'll see. Um, so we win 18 the next year on the bubble. Fine. You know, not, not a horrible year, not a good year at Minnesota year three, we win eight. And I told Norma at the time, I'm like, we're gonna have to start over, man. I'm just telling you. So I got some young players, Nate Mason, Great player playing overseas right now. Dupree McBrayer playing overseas right now. We get Amir Coffee, um, a local kid, Richard Coffee's son. And um, year four, I have the best regular season in the history of the program besides Clems that got vacated that 97 year. So it's the second best regular season in the history of the program. And uh, we bounced back, thank God, because when you win eight, like you got to bounce back. We win 24. We're a five seed in the NCAA tournament, top four. Like, or everybody's like, okay, we see it. Um, I'm Big Ten coach of the year. I get an extension. I might get a raise or whatever. We come back the next year with a lot of those guys back. Reggie Lynch was defensive player of the year, has a sexual misconduct thing. He ends up quitting in the middle of the year. So we lose our starting center. Amir Coffey has shoulder surgery. We lose our starting or starting small forward who's in the NBA playing with the Clippers doing well. 
So I take a step back. We ended up bottom falling out because of these injuries. Bounce back the next year. We go to the tournament, beat Louisville. We hadn't won a game since 97, the NCAA tournament, in a long time. Yeah. Great. We come back the next year. We got Marcus Carm. We got some good players. We're like really high in the net and Ken Palm, but we lost a lot of close games. COVID hits. And this is where a lot of coaches have endured this, where they say you didn't make the tournament. I'm like, I'm still alive in the tournament. I could have won a game or two in the Big Ten and maybe snuck in the tournament. Um, and then last year hits, obviously, and just didn't have a chance. Uh, because, again, last year we beat five ranked teams. But what? Go ahead. No, Liam I'm... Robbins gets hurt, who's yeah. playing for Vanderbilt. Really good player. Yeah. Gabe Kalsher gets hurt. Uh, starting for Iowa State, really good player, and the bottom fell out again. Again, not to absolve me of any mistakes that I made, but it was just – it was so up and down. There was no consistency. Well, that, the, the problem with the pro, that program – and, you, again, you lived it. I just watched it. The problem with the program is you're at a level where everything has to go close to right to be successful, and the, the margin for error is much slighter there than it is most anywhere else in that league. Now, look, you know, it's like, um, you know, like I, I remember, you know, I remember Chris Collins telling me, you know, this is after he made the NSA term, like the next year he was supposed to get a point guard and the kid ends up having an off the court issue and he goes to, goes to UTEP. And I, I knew the kid and I was trying to, you know, help him along, whatever. And you try to explain to somebody like, look, at, at, at Michigan and Michigan State, you go from being, a, an elite eight team to just make the NCAA tournament when you don't get the right point guard, when you're at Minnesota or Northwestern and you have one thing go wrong, the bottom does kind of start to come out because the margin for error is much slighter. Here, here's the, what is that like to lose your job, to come home to your family when you know, like, are we going to move? What's next? Because there was there was a gap there between that and in New Mexico, right? It wasn't like you. Were that just- was the weird part. There really wasn't. Um, so I, I mean, I, I was pretty sure I was going to lose my job. So the at what at what point in time did you know? Did you like uh, um, probably the last two weeks or so? Like like me and the AD still to this day talk probably once a week. As weird as it sounds, Mark Coyle, like we had a great relationship. But, you know, you stopped hearing from him a little bit. And I don't think it was anything intentional, um, but he wasn't telling me you're good. Uh, so I would say mid to late February, like when Kalsher was out and Robbins was out, I just knew I couldn't win with my two starting, you know, key players out. We just didn't have the depth to do it. So um, I felt it coming. We beat Northwestern on the Wednesday in the Big Ten tournament. I'm like, okay, the only way it's a miracle, like you win the tournament, which I just conversed which I just knew I wasn't going to do. So um, that Thursday we play Ohio State. We play him close. And I met with Mark that Friday and New in, Mexico. In, in Indy or? In Minnesota. We flew back. And Mark was great. Like, I mean, it, it's so New Mexico jumped in there, you know, right that Friday or whatever. I didn't have any conversation. They'd spoken to my agent. So they had showed interest, but it was this whirlwind of, well, I don't know if I'm getting fired. I know Steve Alford won big in New Mexico. I know the pit. I know the fan base, but I don't really know Albuquerque real well. So I met with Mark. Um, it wasn't the yelling and screaming, flipping desk. It was like, I think Mark felt bad. He's like, 
I like this dude. He's a good guy. I know he cares about his family, loves Minnesota. But Mark had to do what he felt was right. I respect it. As a coach, we need to act that way more. Like when our players bitch that they don't play and we sit there and act like they're the worst human beings in the world, just remember when it doesn't go our way as a head coach, how do we act? So Mark was like, well, we heard New Mexico might be interested. And it was some other job that was not because Twitter says it. And all these ADs claim they don't read Twitter. They're all lying. They read Twitter. So I said, well, I don't really know it, Mark. Like I, I wanted to, I want to stay here. Um, Cause part of me is like, well, maybe he sees the injuries, but it just had been so much and it worn everybody down and I get it. So it was basically like, go try to get New Mexico, similar to Alford, where Alford was kind of on his way yeah. out of Iowa. Yes. And I'm like, okay, well, so I fly to Chicago the next day and I meet with uh, Eddie Nunez, the AD, and it was great. But it was just emotionally, it was like, I'm sitting there in the middle of Chicago with my suit on that I probably wore to, you know, whatever, like with a Minnesota pin on, I take it off, throw it away. So again, it was another situation where I hadn't done all this research. It just kind of happened. And I sit down with Eddie Nunez and we have a great talk. Um, So part of me is like, can I get it before I'm getting fired? And Eddie was great. Eddie was like, don't worry about that. So Sunday hits, Eddie didn't offer me the job. I felt somewhat good about it, but not as good as the Minnesota one. I thought I'm in the mix. I don't know if I'm going to get it. And part of me is like, do I want to take a year off? Because Minnesota still owed me almost $2 million. And I'm like, screw them. They're going to pay me without working. That was kind of cool. But I'm like, no, I want to keep working. I want to keep coaching. I want to. So Albuquerque checked a lot of boxes because it was a, you didn't have to rival the Vikings and, you know, the Timberwolves and all these. No, you're the, you're the, you're the Lakers. You're the, you're the, show. You're, you're the show. So I, that was attractive to me. So Sunday, Mark was like, reached out to my agent. was like, we have to release it. And I hadn't heard from New Mexico yet. So I'm like, no big deal. It's fine. Not a big deal. So yeah, you know, your wife's crying and it's emotional. Um, but then I kind of like, I got the job 10 minutes after they released it on Twitter. So Eddie calls me and offers me a job. Great. I'm taking it. What was really hard was because the emotion of taking this job, they care here, you know, saying the five months where I was in New Mexico, I couldn't go recruiting because of the rules, the rules were not allowing us to go recruiting. So you're, you're normally when you take a job, like you don't see your family because you're flying all over. Like I added a you know, kid from Sweden. I would have been in Sweden. I had a kid from Atlanta. I'd been flying to Atlanta. I would have been in Arizona, Jalen House. You didn't do any of it. You're sitting on a computer screen. So for me, that five months alone was really hard for me because every, I couldn't really go anywhere. So I was able to fly back to Minnesota. And I remember I told Matt McCall this, Matt McCall just got let go at UMass. And I called Matt and I just checking in on this morning. I remember going to my daughter's Five-year-old daughter, Zoe, cute as can be. She, I go back to Minnesota. You, you know all the people in her dance class. And so she's got the dance recital. And I remember sitting there and I just start bawling, crying as I'm watching her up on stage. And Jill's looking over me like, you all right? And just the emotion of, not, not that I felt like I failed as a coach. Like, I didn't feel that. But I felt like we had this great situation personally, family-wise, and I'm taking them and I'm because I couldn't get the job done away from all their friends 
And I'm moving them across the country to Albuquerque that they don't know. It's not like I was moving to Boston or Florida or something like that guilt was really, really hard for me emotionally. Um, And I, I was telling Matt McCall this, like your kids, uh, you think they care. They don't care. They're going to meet new friends and they're they're resilient. Um, But those couple months was hard because you're sitting there, you can't go anywhere because of COVID. So I'm flying back and forth, but uh, very, very happy. I took it. Uh, it's, it's a great spot. I, I know you got to go in a second here. Um, okay. So what is different about New Mexico now, essentially one season in from what you perceived before you took the job? Well, I would say from a, just culturally, it's way different. I mean, and it probably would be the same way living in LA versus the West is so different than the East and, and even the Midwest. So um, I think the biggest thing about New Mexico that I didn't understand is honestly the weather, I believe year round is second to Southern California. I don't know if there's a place in this country that year round where it's not sweltering hot, uh, in the summertime, you know, Christmas, it's it's sunny and bright. So the sun, the weather is amazing. So you're still getting that L.A. weather in New Mexico. Um, I didn't realize, you know, like the Lobos are a very, very big deal to yes. this city and to this state. Here's very- what I've, I've here's what I've told people. And you're starting to experience it, although you haven't gotten the full force of it. I've never been to a place where the old people are louder than the young people. I've never, I, I, that's everyone talks about the pit and the altitude and walking down the ramp and all that is great. Okay. But what really makes that place unique and special is like the old people that are supposed to be the one, usually what you want to do as a coach or, you know, is move the old people out and get the young people in because young people are loud and they help you win games. Yeah, but the old people are more nuts than the young people there. I never see anything like it. There's a deep hatred for referees. I've never seen a fan base <laughs> know the refs. They're name. like the they're the, they're the Hurley family of the yes. Hurley family yes. of fans. It, it's um like like so we're here. We have a vaccine mandate. We have a mask mandate to get into the building. Plus, we're getting better, but we're at the towards the bottom of the conference, and this is a rebuild. And we're averaging almost 9,000 fans a game and people are apologizing for this. And I'm like, guys, like you don't understand, like they won six games last year. Like we're going to have to, to get eight, 9,000 fans. We played air force the other day and had 9,500 fans, us and air force towards the bottom. And the place was awesome with a vaccine mandate and with a mask mandate. So it, there's so much potential. I think um, the pit is, it's all that's advertised. I really believe it. Like it's not only like, like it's, they upgraded a lot with suites yeah. and so on. Um, I think it's, it's a big time job. No, it's, it's the right side. Like that's how you do a re- remodel, right? There's yeah. less seats more and, and, and great. And then you got the practice place right there next to you. Did the coaching Jamal's son, you being your dad's son, like there's a lot of things that are pretty cool. I was trying to explain somebody to it, the, the, the whole, all of the layers to it, but there's also, and again, I don't know Jamal June. I don't, I don't know him at all, but there's also that his dad 
is brilliant businessman, right? Like I worked with him at ESPN and he basically walked because he's like, I don't need it. Yeah, I, no, I, he's amazing with that. Right. But there's, it, it feels like there's just like you, there's not the entitlement to you that there could be. It feels like he's much the same way. And that's really, really unique. Very, very similar. And Jamal senior, like you said, crazy businessman and passionate about it. Like whenever I see him, that's what we talk about. I'm like, Hey man, you got an investment for me? Like, how do I make money? It's never really about uh, Jamal jr. Um, a very rare family. When I was let go, Jamal senior, he went, he went up to Mark Coyle and was like, you know, this is BS. We're in the middle of COVID. He's got injuries. This isn't right. And to his, you know, like I didn't tell him to do that. And legitimately when I took the New Mexico job, they called me and were like, we signed up to play for you. We didn't sign up to play for Minnesota, you know, and that's so rare, so rare. Uh, Jamal Jr. is as you talk about me being normal, like you would not know his dad was an NBA All-Star. You'd never know it. Hardest worker I've coached by far. Everyone on our staff says the same thing. Discipline, unentitled. Um, and a lot of that is Jamal Sr., just phenomenal father. So it worked out. It, much like me. I mean, like everybody kind of wonders how you were the way you were. Like my dad was really tough on me to not act a certain way like this famous coach's son. Um, Jamal Jr. is the same way. So it's been a I'm lucky uh, and I want it to work out for Jamal Jr. because of that loyalty. You just don't see it anymore. You know, I mean, it that loyalty doesn't really exist anymore. And with him, it's cool to see that he's playing great and he's enjoying his experience because it does mean a little extra to me. Okay. The real challenge to that job obviously is players. Now you can start to get back on the road, but the way New Mexico was built originally, okay. When, when Alford was there, right. You got, you get guys from Southern California who are not as highly regarded. You've always, they've always been able to get guys that transfer as well. The transferring thing though, and San Diego state was built on transfers as well as under recruited guys, Sacramento, Inland Empire, et cetera. Um, it does feel like the way that New Mexico was built or San Diego State, like everybody's copying that now. So how do you separate yourself? How do you in, you know, in years in the past, you know, th that there wasn't all these schools with the level of facilities that you guys had, the level of investment you have that were going in on trying to get bounce back kids or trying to, is it foreign players? Like how, what's, what gets you to that next level in terms of, talent of athlete because as we started this discussion no one's ever done it without players yeah i think this uh, for one thing i think our fan base needs to understand we were 303 in the net last year 303 i mean that's really really low so we took over this program and added eight players on zooms like yes. and that's not an excuse it's just like it's, it's a reality it's yeah. reality so what i think what we need is for one, we need time and nobody wants to hear that. And this fan base who's really passionate doesn't want to hear that. But anytime you fire coaches every four years, it's very, very hard. UNLV has kind of experienced that a little bit. They got a little bit of continuity with keeping Bryce Hamilton because Kruger was on the staff. They knew kind of what they had with him being there. But when you're starting over, over and over again, it's really hard. It's really hard. So we need time. But the question that you asked is, see, I think people think because of the portal, you can change it quickly. You can't. You cannot flip it as quickly as you can. I actually think in year one for us, 
it's gone pretty well, as crazy as it sounds. I would agree. We're not a the the league. First of all, well, first of all, the league gets four and a half NCAA tournament teams in the Mountain West. The league's a beast. The league is a beast at the top. And you at our Fresno game the other day, I'm looking going, this team's got a pro. Like they, it was a tie game. They went pick and pop and he hits a three. Like that doesn't happen. So there's really good programs. I think the transfer portal is what's skewing a lot of, of people to think we can just flip it. You have to build a foundation. And that's why the houses and the Mashburns of the world, although they are transfers, like Mash is technically a freshman and Hass is tra- technically a sophomore. Recruiting-wise, Inland Empire, for sure. We got a kid, Donovan Dent, is terrific. A lot of Pac-12 schools were intrigued by him. Um, Quentin Webb is another one. Inland Empire, like, terrific. So I think you do have to build the program, see what you need, and then supplement it with some transfers. San Diego State is the class of the league, and a lot of that has to do with culture. They grabbed Matt Bradley, but they had some guys that grew through the program. Um, You look at what Nico has done at Colorado State. David Roddy won like 12 games his first year. Now he's going to be player of the year in the league. He grew up through it. So I still think you need to build it the way we all do and get one or two transfers. All right. I I know you've been great with your time. I do got to ask you. So Roddy, Roddy's a perfect example, right? where there'll be people in Minnesota say, see, had Patino taken Roddy, like, okay, one, what he looked like in high school, and two, again, you and I both love the Mountain West and think it's a hell of a league, but his his life is completely different if he's in the Big Ten. Just completely, like, remember the Big Ten, their centers are monsters. Like, everybody has legit big guys, right? So now, and he plays five, he plays four, but even as a four, his life is very, very different. But try how do you explain that to somebody who guy people listen to this podcast or ball guys understand what was Roddy like in high school? What was what what, what was that actually experience? So I think the deal with Roddy was first time I saw him, I offered him. I really liked him. We had Daniel Aturo and we had Brandon Johnson. So, so wait, wait, Daniel. So for people to understand, Daniel Aturo is six foot nine. Crazy. He's an undersized center. Right. But he's crazy athletic. Yeah. 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 Daniel is like a better version of Orlando Johnson, you know, or Robinson, Orlando Robinson. Yeah. And and they could both end up being at the same, but both that type of player. Um, So we really didn't need him. But when I saw him, I'm like, I really like him. He's a little small for our league, but small ball five. The bottom line with David Roddy is David Roddy chose the right place. Yeah. Uh, Right fit, he got to play right away. You got to play more right away. Yeah. Got, you know, they kind of built the thing around him eventually. No doubt. And he's going to have a chance. What, what all these players who are obsessed with the pros, I tell them all the time, David Roddy has measurable issues that we all know. He's a great player. And when people watch him, he plays the right way. He's tough. He competes. He can find a way in there somewhere. I don't know how it's going to be. And it's same with Draymond Green and all these guys. Will he be an NBA all-star? I don't know. He is a great player. Um, we liked him, and he chose the right place. All right, listen, you got to get to church for your kid. You've been great with your time. I do want to do want to do more when you get when you got time and all these different stories. In the meantime, I truly appreciate your time. Happy to do it, and thank you for everything. I appreciate it as well. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I too love the pit. Uh, I'll can I'll 
I think I'll break out. We'll break out a pod, my next pod here, uh, Thursday morning, so that you can get your final four, your final four picks and all the picks of all the first games. And we'll just keep dropping it that way. In the meantime, I appreciate you listening. Remember to download the Doug Gottlieb show. Subscribe, review, rate, download this sucker as well. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is all ball.